Well, I'm excited for today. We, we're starting a new series. I always love starting things. I, it's not that I don't enjoy finishing things. It's just God has put in me to really I get energy out of starting something new. And and uh, and so I'm, I'm excited about it. It's not just that that I'm excited about, but I am excited about our new series. We're going to be going through Jonah. Over the next several weeks, we will be studying this this book of prophecy from the Old Testament. Jonah is one of 16 prophetic books. There are major prophets and minor prophets. Major prophets are long. So they're, they're Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel. Minor prophets are short. It doesn't mean that they, they're, they're not minor because, you know, it's like minor league. It's not, it's not because they're not as good as or because there's less to say about uh, what God had to say or what God was trying to show. Uh, they're, they're minor because they're short. Jonah only has 48 verses through the whole book. The, the whole prophetic message of Jonah is wrapped up in 48 verses. But it is packed full of truth that, that would be beneficial for us to hear. In fact, as I first looked at Jonah, I've now been working, kind of reading and studying in Jonah for, oh, maybe, maybe just under a year. I've wanted to preach through it for some time, and I thought that I would preach through it kind of in between some sermons uh, some other sermon series, and I realized every, as I studied and I started putting the series together and, and thinking about what's in here, I was like, well, I can't just use it as filler. I can't just throw it in just any old place. There's just too much. We need to be able to spend some time digging on and chewing on and just digesting and enjoying the meal, that this this filet mignon that is in Jonah, okay? We, we need to. It'll be good for us. It'll be, it's going to be the best one you've ever had, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to put Texas Roadhouse to shame. This is better, right? Okay? Just trust me. I think you'll see it in the end. So, so here we are at Jonah, and, and, and Jonah's unique among the prophets. Another little bit of trivia, just in case you have to play some trivial pursuit or some Bible trivia with your friends later, Jonah's unique in at least two ways. First, Jonah gives us a snapshot of Jonah's life, and it's more a focus on what happens to Jonah or with Jonah as opposed to, go tell my people this. So most prophets were like what they saw, what their vision was, what they heard. You know, they're writing it down. It's less about the events of their life. But Jonah primarily, it's not that we won't hear his message. It's just primarily it's about this snapshot. It reads more like a chapter out of a biography than... A, a prophetic word. And so as we read it, you're not going to hear so much God said. You're going to see God doing. Okay? And that's that's really what it's going to be like. So that's unique. And a, a second piece that it's very unique in is that Jonah was the only prophet, so far as we know, that was ever actually sent to a pagan nation, to a, a place that didn't believe God and that hadn't been chosen by God. Jonah, is, at least as far as we know, is the only one that was ever actually told to go. There were other prophets that, that had words to say against other nations and called them to something. But no one was ever sent, only Jonah. And I love that. I really appreciate that. And I'll tell you why I appreciate that is because that's us, right? We're Nineveh. We're the pagans. We're the Gentiles. We're the ones outside the covenant, and even in the Old Covenant, God was thinking about those outside and providing opportunity and mercy and grace. And so I'm grateful for that, that this has been his heritage. It's always been about bringing his grace and his glory to all peoples. And, and I, I appreciate that. I hope you do as well. But I'm not... I'm not excited about just being able to give you trivial pieces of information. It's not like it's not like I hope you come out of this today and being able to win 
Trivial Pursuit the next time you sit down and play it and Jonah comes up. I'm excited because in its brevity, in the midst of its pages, it is drenched with the glory of God. See, the, the story of Jonah is not about a fish and it's not about a city that sinned. and oh, Those are everywhere, right? It's not even about a prophet who pouted. And it's about a glorious God who acted with grace and mercy. You see, and I'll tell you why it's important that we get that. At least I think it's important that we get that. We live in a world that tells us to look everywhere else for our satisfaction, for our happiness, for our purpose in life. It may be money. It may be the things that money can buy. If you just have enough in the bank, if you just have enough stuff in your house, if your house is just big enough, maybe a little less tangible than that, maybe maybe more about relationships. If you if you have a husband or a wife, in our culture like that, I mean, I know people, I, I do premarital counseling with people, and it was funny, I, I thought of this earlier, I do more premarital than I actually do weddings, and so I thought maybe I need to change something up. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I have to think about that for a bit, but... But people come to premarital counseling thinking that marriage is going to somehow make them happy. And and I'm not saying that you won't be. I'm happily married. But I can tell you she's not the source of all my happiness. And I'll bet you if you ask Amy, I'm not the source of hers either. You see, we bring baggage to these relationships and difficulty and struggle. And I think that marriage is really meant more for holiness than just straight-out happiness. Ultimately, happiness as a result of the holiness. You see, I, I think in our church, specifically in our church, we're a church with a lot of young families. I think, I think that we, we, we are compelled, we are encouraged by the culture around us to find our identity in these relationships like this, even parenthood. It's a great relationship. I'm a parent. I love my sons. I am proud of my sons. But I can still remember the sleepless nights of infancy and the struggle of teenage years and even the stress of trying to see them leave. I'm happy having having been called dad. But I've learned that they can't be the source of that happiness. In fact, we found that as we looked to them to be made happy, they actually made us more holy. You see, the, the world compels us to look to them for the source, as, as the source, and, and, and they're not the source. The world compels us to look to others and, and, and say, well, we'll, we'll gain status. And as we gain status over people, they'll respect us. They'll look up to us. They'll think we're special. They'll they'll think we're important. They'll look at the things that we do and they'll give us medals and pats on the back and attaboys that make us feel so good. This I know personally. I know it personally. To, I, I learned, it was about a year ago that I was really confronted with the fact that I would rather... I would rather just hear you say I'm a good pastor than you really believe I'm a good pastor. 
that broke me in two ultimately because I saw the depths of my sin again. But I, I just really had hoped for some acknowledgement. So today when you leave, don't pat me on the back because that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> But don't we all do that? I mean, isn't that what we do? Well, well, hey, if you're happy doing this, if you're happy being this, if, you're, if you feel satisfied with this. In churches, we, we try to manufacture this kind of feeling. This kind of joy. We, we try to pump it up with, with presentations and production. And we dim lights and we flashlights and we blow some smoke. I'm not going to blow smoke today. Just Truth. We get smoke machines and, and we turn our music up loud and we play it really fast. And you can't sing too many slow songs in a row because that's a bummer. But you can't play too many fast ones because then you won't get intimate. And all the while we're looking to the things that this world has to offer rather than the God who gave it to us to enjoy. You see? So I think it's important that we stop and we spend some time in Jonah. Because what we learn from Scripture is that our greatest satisfaction, our greatest joy, the deepest sense of contentment, and the the broadest sense of our purpose will be found in the God who created us and then chose to save us. And even today, as we look at these first two verses, just, just two verses deep, we're, we're going to get to this place where we are confronted with the glory of God. So let's read it. Let's read it and we'll, we'll just look at it. And, and, and I believe that the Lord has got much to deal with us on through it. Jonah 1, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Let me stop right there because I think right there we see God's glory just begin to radiate from these words. I think most of you know the story. I think probably... Most of you at least have an idea of what happened. You may not know the whole story, but you know some of the events anyway. So, so Jonah's called by God, doesn't want to go, runs from God, jumps on a ship, gets, gets thrown overboard by the people that he was paying to serve him. They throw him overboard, gets swallowed by a fish, vomited up three days later, ends up in Nineveh where he was told to go to begin with but didn't want to go, preaches, the city repents, God relents, and then he throws a fit. And... God, of all things, continues to teach, continues to shape, and continues to mold Jonah. Blown away by this story, honestly. I mean, I am blown away by this story. Not because Jonah got swallowed by a fish. I think that's where we start, right? I mean, that's, that's a big deal. I don't call people friends that throw me off ships into the storm. That they're not friendly. In fact, I want my money back, right? Give it back. I, I paid you to get me to, now give me my money back. They're, they're not the hero. They're, they're simply scenes along the way. 
They're simply ways that God enables His glory to begin to shine. The reality is, is that in these pages, Jonah, of Jonah, we begin to see, in these just these two verses, we see God shine. He is the very center, the very source of this, of, of this letter. He's the very first character we come into contact with. But he's oftentimes the very first character we skip past to get to what we think is the meat. Now the word of the Lord. Now, just so you know, I, I think you'll see it on the screen. I, I, I tried to ensure that it was that way. Yes, it's all capitals. You'll, you'll see it in your Bibles if you're looking out on some device. And English translations strive to capitalize this word in this way to present to you the proper name for God. This is not the name we gave him. This is the name he gave us. Right? So we call him God. We talk about God, right? So God this, God that, God wants me to do this, God doesn't want me to do that. I, I want to live for God. I don't want to I don't want to offend God. Those kind of things. We talk about God a lot. But when he came to Moses and sent Moses back into Egypt to get the Israelites, Moses is like, Well, who do I say is sending me? And Mo and, and God's like, Yahweh. Or Jehovah, maybe. I don't tomato, tomato, right? It's one or the other. We we're not exactly sure. We've kind of lost the, the pronunciation over time. But the reality is, God gave Himself a name. And this is it. God sent Jonah. God's word came to Jonah. In fact, I'd say that's the first thing we begin to see shine out about God. It is the Lord's word. It's his message that Jonah is to take. It's his command that sends Jonah, right? It's his word. He owns it. It it belongs to him. It's not Jonah's idea. It didn't originate with Jonah. Jonah couldn't decide this on his own. It's the Lord's word. It's the Lord's mission. Jonah wasn't sitting around thinking, man, I need need purpose in life. Well, he may have been thinking that, but we don't have any indication. But, But he wasn't thinking, well, I'll go to Nineveh and preach. He definitely wasn't thinking that. I, I, need, I need a job to do. I need, I need purpose in my life. So I'm going to have 40 days of, of prayer and reading a book, and I'll just have purpose then. That's not what he was doing at all, at least by, by our perspective. But God steps in and gives Jonah something to do, fills his life with purpose. It's his own mission. He was deciding where Jonah would go. He was deciding the city that would be forgiven if they repented. He was deciding the destination. He was deciding the message that would would, would propel him. He was deciding how it would work out. It was the Lord's, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, creator God. It was his. You know know know, um, the properties of inertia probably. It's... A body at rest stays at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. God is the outside force that moves Jonah. It's his mission. It's the Lord's choice to choose Jonah. I told you earlier, there's 16 books of prophecy in the Old Testament. So we know Jonah wasn't the only one. Not to mention the number of prophets that are listed throughout the Old Testament from from, uh, at least Abraham on. God had other men. God had other people he could send to proclaim his message. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, by his sovereign choice, he looked at Jonah and said, Arise 
and go. Shocking. Especially when you find out how he reacted, right? I mean, didn't God know that was going to happen? Probably he did. And that may very well be why he chose him. It's the Lord who was offended. It wasn't like, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against them because they're not measuring up to Israel. They don't, they're, 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 not, they're not living up to you guys. They, they, they should be offensive to you. No, he was offended. Their sin had come up before him. He's the one who set the standard. He's the one who determined that it would be the, or, or that what was right or wrong about what they were doing. And here's the most ironic part of it all, at least in my mind. In my mind, it's ironic that instead of God smiting or smashing or crushing them, he sends Jonah to plea for them, to proclaim his message to them, to give them opportunity to extend his hand of mercy. See, to me, that's pretty shocking. It is the Lord. That's not what we think about when we think about Jonah, is it? I mean, what do you think about when you think about Jonah? What's, what's the very first picture that pops in your mind when you think about Jonah? A whale. That's right. And, and you know, here's the funny thing about the whale. <laughs> we like to argue over whether it's a fish or a whale. So let me just share this bit of more trivia with you so you can go home and struggle with it. The Hebrew in this, in this book uses the word for fish. When Jesus refers to it in the New Testament, in Matthew, in the Greek, they use the word for whale. So here it is, this big whale fish. I don't know what else to call it. But it's not the point. It just happens to be the backdrop for one of the scenes in which God was at work. The sea and the storm, that's not the point. It just happens to be one of the scenes in which God works and demonstrates his majesty and his power and his presence. The city, the city Nineveh, oh, they needed to repent. They were going to be destroyed. But they're not even the point. They just simply happen to be beneficiaries of the one who is the point. It's not about a fish and it's not about a, not about a storm and it's not about a city, and it's not about the prophet. Who is it about? It's about the Lord, our God. We need to recognize this. We need to settle it. We need to own it. Because not only do we live in a world that compels us to look to other things, our hearts, by their very nature, look to other things. See, this is not just an external problem. It is internal, deep within us and who we are. So let's just take some time. Just just take some time and think about the God who reveals himself in this book. The first thing I'd call you to is, is his sovereign authority. I think that's been made clear already. He's the one that commands Jonah to go. He's the one that gives the message. He's the one that determines what's right or wrong in Nineveh. He's the one that's going to determine whether or not to destroy. It all rests with him. He's the one that chose Jonah. It's his sovereign authority. He sits above every other thing. 
and owns it all. And, and, and here's what I, I hope you'll see. The will of God determines our purpose and path. It's His will. Now, I'm not saying we all do His will. I'm just saying it's His will by His sovereign being. I simply, this is natural to what, who He is because He is Creator. He is the one who determines why He created you. He is the one who determines what He wants for you. He's the one that intends you to be a cup or a saucer. He's the potter who molded the clay. And he has authority. He doesn't need to ask permission. He doesn't need your ideas. He doesn't need your, your friend's ideas. He knows you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He can discern your thoughts from afar. He knows the words that are on your mouth before they're even out in the air. You see, He knows you. And He knows His purposes and plans for you. I think we see His great power. I mean, we, I, I mean, maybe not so much in this first passage, but the, the breadth of the story of Jonah, we see power exerted time and time and time again. And Jonah, rebelling against God, he's like the mosquito that bugs us, you know? I mean, we would smack him. Maybe in a way God does. He hurls a storm. In fact, we'll get to that one day in the, in the next week or two. He hurls a storm. That's the word used. Hurls. He throws it with force. So much so that the, sea, the, the boat is about to sink. So much so that the, the, the sailors don't know what to do. They're, they're at a loss. But it wasn't just the storm he hurled. He moved a fish to be in the right place at the right time. He exerted that power. And when the time was right, he moved that fish to the land and had him vomited out. It would have been God's power that had destroyed Nineveh. You see, it's God's power on display. And, and I think really the, the miracle of, of Jonah and the fish, I mean, we need to stop and think about that for just a second. I've never been in a fish, so I'm, I'm just guessing all right, so I'm, I, 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 this has not happened to me, not personal testimony. But I assume that fishes don't have fishes, whale fishes, let's say it like that, whale fishes don't have food to eat inside them unless you're eating what they ate. They're not a lot of good water to drink. I don't know, how long, how long can you live without water? 72 hours, something like that. That's what they say. Not a lot of good water to drink. And, and I'm guessing that under the ocean, in the belly of a whale fish, there's probably not a lot of air to breathe. Maybe there is. I, again, I don't know. I'm just thinking, shotgunning, right? I think it's a pretty big miracle that he survived the ordeal. Now, certainly there's been other instances of that, and there's people point to them and say, oh, that guy survived. I still think that's a miracle. 
Okay, I, I mean, I just think that most people that go into the belly of a whale never come out until they've been digested. Would you agree? I mean, this is a miracle. It's God's power. God is exercising His power. Now, when you put these two things together, sovereignty and power, it can do one of two things for us. It can either scare us to death or it can cause us great comfort. You see, because God is the one who sets the standard and God is the one who has power over our souls. But I think that's why we can't stop there. I, I think that as we consider his great power and that it's, he's the only one that rules sovereignly because he's able, I think we have to consider his amazing grace. You see, because it's in his grace that God takes his sovereign authority and his great power and he directs it for your good, for your benefit, not to crush you, not to condemn you, not to cast you aside, but to benefit you, to bless you, to love you, to serve you. I thought of this earlier. The notes, uh, verses aren't on the screen, but it came to mind earlier as as I was thinking about this passage and preaching today. Have you ever wondered what he's about doing with his sovereign rule and power and what he's about doing in your life? You don't have to wonder. The scripture tells you. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be made into the likeness of his son. You know what God is directing by his grace, how he's directing his sovereign authority and his great power in your life. You know what he's doing? He is making all things work out that you might be made to look like Jesus. The image that is marred that is tainted by our sin, He is polishing it. And He is restoring the image of His Son, the one and only, the glory of the one and only, that it might shine out of you, that the world around you might see it. That's what He's doing. His power, the power that says, let there be light and light shines, the power that can can control the wind and the rain, the power that brings death or life out of death. And the authority that all things bow to, that all things fall under, directed in such a way that he is polishing you out, that you might reflect his son. That's pretty amazing grace. Because if you're like me, you recognize just how desperately you don't deserve that. I would tie these up. I would would summarize those three things in, in one idea. His awesome glory. I mean, this is the God that we're called to worship. And when we think about this, doesn't doesn't your doesn't your soul just burst within you? Isn't isn't your heart moved by by this God who acted for you? It's amazing. John, Jonathan Edwards, yeah, my friend John, Jonathan Edwards wrote, uh, 
about God's glory. Glory is the outshining of internal excellence. There's no, there's, there, 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 there's no shortcoming in God, in the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. There is no failing. There is no darkness, no shifting shadow. There is, he is fully complete, fully satisfied within himself. He is excellent. And he lets us see it. And he lets us experience it. And he lets us walk in it. And he lets us, he empowers us to reflect it. You see, this is his awesome glory. And the pages of Jonah are dripping with it. They can't contain it. The words, they can't hold it back. But if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful, we'll squeeze him out of the center of this. We'll read this book and we'll talk about a fish that swallowed a man. And we'll talk about a man that went to a city. And we'll talk about a city that repented. But we won't ever talk about the God who's at the center of it all. See, because by nature in our hearts, if you're like me, we'd rather not. See, without the Lord and His glory, our lives will always be lacking. Without the Lord and His glory, our lives will always be lacking. And we need to hear this over and over and over again. So I'm excited to bring Jonah to our church that we might hear it. Again, I just, just just think about how true that statement is. Without the Lord and His glory, our lives will be empty and lacking. And without the Lord, we will be searching, we'll be running around, looking, we'll be striving for everything, and that thing will fail us, and that thing will fail us, and that's not going to do it. And, and then we'll go, oh, that's the answer. And it won't be the answer. i just illustrate that for you just a little bit. I mean, read this story without the Lord. Read Jonah and skip every verse that talks about God. Read Jonah and ignore that he is there. Read Jonah and don't, don't, don't look at him. And it will fall apart. You can't even get past the first verse. You definitely can't get to the second verse because there's no word then. Well, well let's tear that one out, right? Surely there's another one that satisfies us better, that, that makes it more about us, right? Well, no. The Old Testament doesn't let us do that. The New Testament definitely doesn't let us do that. Just, just another idea, another thought that's come to mind in, in, in Luke uh, 16, starting right around verse 19. Jesus tells the story of a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. See, the rich man had everything the world had to offer. Thought he was happy, thought he was content, thought he, thought he was okay. And he'd walk out his gate every day and there'd be Lazarus begging, handling, give me some food, give me some money, whatever, just give me. And as the story goes, Jesus tells the story, the, the, 
the rich man dies and goes to Hades, and Lazarus, the poor man, dies and goes to Abraham's bosom or paradise into the blessing of God. It's not the point of the story that rich people all go to hell and poor people go to heaven. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is at the end where Jesus looks at those he's teaching and he says that the the rich man, looking into the blessing of that Lazarus was enjoying, separated by a chasm, thirsty and suffering, looking over and seeing what blessing had been made available to him by God, says, I've got five brothers. Would you send send him back to go and tell him? It's funny about the story is that the, the rich man doesn't even, he, he recognizes at some level he's not the one going back. He's not getting out of it. Would you send Lazarus back to tell my brothers? I got five brothers. They need to hear this. They need to know before they get there, before it happens to them. And and Jesus says that the answer to that is, look, they have Moses and the prophets, which simply means they have the word of God, which Jonah belongs in. Do you get that? And those, brothers and sisters, those reveal the great glory of God if we can't see it there then not even a man coming back from the dead is going to convince us. You see, we can't manufacture this. We can't play hard enough. We can't sing hard enough. We can't, we can't put on enough of a production. We can't have enough relationships. We can't, we, we, we can't have enough status. We can't have enough money. We can't have enough respect from others. If we don't see God's glory, we are missing it. We are lacking so I'm so excited about Jonah. And so every week, every week we're going to come. And I am praying and I ask you to pray with me that we'd come and we would see God's glory and have an experience with him. And then be challenged to ask, what are we going to do with this glorious God? Because that's important. It's not just about his showing himself, what are we going to do with this glorious God? Are we going to quake in fear? Or are we going to step in to his place? Are we going to squeeze him out of the center with other things? Or are we going to bask in the light of his glory? Are we going to celebrate under the gift of His grace and submit under the rule of His authority and rest in His amazing power. Do you know what God would have you do? Do you know what His will for you in this is? Really for all things. I, I, I can't tell you specifics. I can't tell you that He's calling you to go to Nineveh. In our case, it's Senegal. Like we work in Senegal. I can't tell you that he's given you a specific call to go to Senegal. I can't tell you that he's given you a specific call to move into some neighborhood. I can't tell you that he's given you a specific call to take some job. I can't tell you that he's given you a specific call to, to, uh, to do something. What I can tell you is that still we're not left wanting. He tells us what he wants for us and how we can respond faithfully to him. And what we should do with our glorious God. His will for us is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I would summarize also with Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples. So wherever you are, whenever you're going, make disciples. Let other people see God's glory. That's what a disciple is. Somebody that saw his glory and is beginning to strive to love him, strive to love their neighbor, because they saw his glory. And then lets other people see his glory. I think that's what God would have for us. So what are you going to do with this glorious God who didn't stay hidden from you, who's making sure you see it in a story like Jonah? Let's pray.